You're listening to an audio message from The Well, a gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com. This morning, we are continuing our summer sermon series going through the Psalms, and today we get the privilege of looking at Psalm 46 together. Psalm 46 is an awesome psalm. I mean, all of the psalms are awesome, aren't they? But, but there are a handful of psalms that are so well-known and memorable or meaningful that they have reached a kind of famous status over and above some of the other psalms. Ones like Psalm 2, Psalm 23, Psalm 103, Psalm 119, the longest Psalm, the longest chapter in the Bible. Well, Psalm 46, I think, is one of those two. And we'll see why. This psalm has some incredible one-liners and phrases that are super comforting and helpful to God's people. Another reason why this psalm is so familiar and famous is due to Martin Luther, the great German reformer. Um, He wrote a well-known and famous hymn uh, back in the 1500s that was based off of this psalm. Does anybody know what, song, or what hymn I'm talking about? Called A Mighty Fortress, that's right. It, a Mighty Fortress is Our God was the hymn that he wrote, and it was known as the battle hymn of the entire Reformation. Um, it is an amazing hymn with such good lyrics. If you don't know it, I would encourage you after the service sometime today, look it up listen to it, and then even just read carefully through the lyrics. It's one of those hymns that just gets you pumped up, like Eye of the Tiger pumped up, but on steroids. It is wonderful. Um, But as for Psalm 46, like all the other psalms, this was written or composed originally as a song. At the beginning of it in my Bible, it says, To the choir master the sons of Korah, according to Alamoth, a song. And there's a note in my Bible that explains what Alamoth means, in case you're wondering. It says that it was, it's probably a reference to some musical or liturgical term. So as with most psalms, before we get into it, it will be helpful for us if we approach it more like we would a song more like we would go and read lyrics of a song and think about the artistic meaning behind it, rather than how we would just go and read a chapter of a book. I think if we keep that in mind, it helps making the, rep- the repetition or the flowery parts of the psalm more meaningful. So it's not just communication, but it is a form of artistic communication. All right, then let's read Psalm 46. You can follow along as I read the psalm. Um, It should be up here on the screen in front, uh, or there should be a Bible in front of you, in the seat in front of you, um, and you can go ahead and turn there. Before I read it, let's pray the Lord together. God, we are grateful for your grace in all of our lives, and the grace specifically that brought us here this morning, that we can be here As Dave said, worshiping freely. Thank you for the freedom that you have given us, that we can open your word and read it and discuss it and and think about it. God, I pray that as we do that as a group today, 
that your spirit would bless us and that you would help us to apply it to our lives. God, speak to us through your word now. In Christ's name, amen. All right, Psalm 46. This is God's holy word, and it says this. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage. The kingdoms totter. He utters his voice. The earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. To begin, I want you to imagine the biggest and best bomb shelter you go. Take a moment, really even get creative with it. If you could design your very own custom-built, bomb-proof, storm-proof, apocalypse-proof, everything-proof fortress, and there were no constraints on money, materials, time, or labor, what would it look like? Would it have huge, thick steel walls, maybe massive stone boulders? Would part of it maybe be underground? Would you have a huge moat around the whole thing with like arches of fire for protecting it all around the perimeter? And then think about inside. You would obviously have everything that you could ever need or want. So all your family and friends, a walk-in cooler, huge stove and kitchen area, maybe a gym, a workout room, a bowling alley, a movie theater, on and on. All the essentials, right? You get the point, though. Think of the biggest, coolest, strongest, most secure, best everything-proof fortress out there. I want you to picture it in all its glory, standing out there somewhere, and then imagine that catastrophe hits, something huge, something earth-shattering. Maybe it's a storm of epic proportions. So imagine a hurricane, tsunami, tornado, earthquake, huge hail and lightning all rolled into one, just hits. 
or maybe it's a bloody war. So battles and bombs, gunfire, airstrikes, grenades. And the bomb shelter, that extraordinary fortress, is there, standing tall, totally unaffected by all the turmoil, all the chaos. Now, here comes the devastating part. Imagine that you are standing outside of that fortress, just far enough away that there is no way that you can reach it in time before you are swallowed up and destroyed by all that chaos. Maybe thinking at this point, I thought this psalm was supposed to be comforting, helpful. Why are you being so dark and heavy? Well, I'm trying to highlight and bring out by way of contrast the underlying truth of this passage. The biggest and best everything-proof fortress is actually completely worthless if you don't have access to it. It is useless if it is inaccessible. If you are unable to get inside, you are doomed. In order for you to benefit from that type of fortress, in order for you to be safe from all of the storms and the trouble and the chaos in this life, you must know where it is and you must know how to get into it. Because there really is an everything-proof fortress out there that can withstand literally anything. Not only can it withstand any conceivable storm or war, this shelter, this fortress that we sang about just a moment ago can withstand all the evil of hell itself and even the very displacement or destruction of this earth. So it is of vital importance that we know where this fortress is and how to access it. So the most important thing in life is that you understand where this fortress is and how to access it. And this brings us to the main point of Psalm 46, which will be the main point of this message. It is that God's presence is the ultimate fortress. God's presence is the ultimate fortress. In other words, the biggest and best shelter imaginable, the ultimate fortress, is not a place, it's a person. It's not a particular structure or location. It is the very presence of God himself. A helpful analogy for me when meditating on this is how a child will run to their parent when a storm or something scary happens. Have you noticed that? The classic example that I've personally experienced many times with my own kids, loud thunder in the middle of the night, right? Even if they are safe inside a nice, secure house, they still come running to someone that they trust for comfort and safety. It's funny, though, when you think about that as an adult, because it's not like the room that their parent is sleeping in is somehow more secure than the room they're sleeping in. They just want the presence of the person who will keep them safe. It's not about a place. It's about a person. This psalm is all about the presence of God. 
I think all of the destruction and turmoil and all the descriptions it gives of everything in the earth going wild and crazy and violent, it's easy for that to, to take the focus. But really, this psalm is all about the presence of God. And as we walk through Psalm 46 now, we're going to see this theme throughout it as a whole, and there's going to be a back-and-forth element that I want you to notice up front. We're going to see aspects of God's presence being brought in again and again, and alongside those, the psalmist has, has woven, we'll see what specifically God's presence produces in his people. Does that make sense? There's going to be a back-and-forth element, God's presence and what it produces in his people. All right, so verse 1 says simply, God is our refuge and strength. God himself is our refuge and strength. That is, he is the source of protection for his people. It's not coming from an impenetrable wall or barrier or bunker or fortress. It is the very person of God himself. Also notice in verse 1, he himself is a very present help in trouble. It says a very present help in trouble. He doesn't just send a bunch of his warrior angels to save the day when you are really in trouble. He could do that, but he doesn't. This is incredible. Instead, he personally comes on the scene of your life and he helps you in real time through whatever storm or trouble or chaos that you are enduring. And the use of the word present also means that he's not just sitting up there waiting for you to kind of get through the storm or trouble and then he comes to comfort you. It means that he enters into the storm with you. He's there to hold and help you in real time. He is a very present help in trouble. He is present in the midst of your trials and pain. He is there to hold you through it. Now, the back and forth. Look what that produces in verse 2. What does it produce in God's people? It says, therefore, we will be terrified. No, it says, therefore, we will not fear. Though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, God's presence produces a peculiar fearlessness in God's people. This is one of the points that comes from this message. God's presence produces fearlessness in his people. Even if the scariest, most damaging thing that could ever happen in nature takes place, people that have a relationship with God actually don't ever have to fear. It doesn't mean that we won't at times or that we won't feel, feel fearful, but we don't have to. And that's powerful. That is a powerful truth to hold on to. Even if times we feel fearful, it really can be true for all believers that we can be fearless no matter what happens. And it has nothing to do with you. It has everything to do with how powerful the presence of God is. That's how we can be comforted by that. 
It doesn't depend on you or something in you. It depends on God's presence who is with you. This is a beautiful and brilliant aspect of the psalm as it uses incredible imagery to compare and contrast how God is over all and more powerful than anything and everything all the time. So continuing this theme and moving through it fairly quickly, see this key point of God's presence in verse 4. Verse 4 says, There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. So here, God's presence is likened to a river. Think of a river. Now think of a river that breaks itself up into much smaller streams that flow through where? Where does it say these streams flow? The city of God, right? I believe all of the people of God are included in this phrase, the city of God. Remember, this was written as a song, so it is using imagery to communicate a point, and that point is that God enters, God himself enters into time and space so that he can be with his people. His very presence is the only place, think about this, God's presence is the only place that you will ever find total safety and refuge. So here in verse 4, this river is a metaphor for God's life-giving presence that splits itself into an infinite number of streams, so to speak, so that it can flow right alongside each and every child of God in order to bring life and sustenance and peace to every individual that believes in God. A key phrase here that helps anchor us to the main point of this psalm is the phrase, holy habitation. The holy habitation of the Most High. Literally, this word habitation means dwelling place. In other words, God intentionally makes his dwelling place wherever his people are. Isn't that wonderful? God intentionally makes his presence known wherever his people are. Now again, Look what this produces. What does verse 4 here say about what the streams of this river produce? There is a river. It says, there is a river whose streams do what? They make glad the city of God. So God's presence produces joy in his people. God's presence produces joy in God's people. And this is really important for us to understand about God. His presence does not simply just provide safety or shelter for us in times of trial. His presence is meant to bring us sadness, joy. This mighty fortress that is our God and his awesome presence is not just for salvation and protection, but it's also for our enjoyment and pleasure. Look at Psalm 16, verse 11. Psalm 16, verse 11, reinforces this truth for us and makes it abundantly clear. Psalm 16, verse 11 says, You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. Did you catch that? In your 
presence. There is fullness of joy. And then at your right hand, right there next to you, are pleasures forevermore. That's awesome. That's better than anything you can find on this earth. We must understand that we were designed by God to find our ultimate satisfaction in Him and in His presence. It's not just for trials and when everything out there is going terribly wrong. It's for our enjoyment, pleasure. I hope that stirs up joy in your soul this morning. There really is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. God's presence is meant to be enjoyed by all of his people. Are you actively enjoying God's presence in your life now? What do you do to enjoy God's presence? Or what could you start doing in order to enjoy God's presence in your life? Those are helpful questions to ask ourselves when reflecting on this psalm. All right, back to Psalm 46, though. God's presence is the ultimate fortress. This theme is further developed and expressed in verse 5. Look at verse 5. It says, God is in the midst of her. This is referencing the city of God back in verse 4. God is in the midst of his people. You and I are included in this. Again, this goes back to God personally coming on the scene of your life and entering into the midst of it all, the good, the bad, the ugly. And he's right there with you to lift you up and to protect you from being destroyed or consumed, even if the entire earth is destroyed. God is in the midst of her. God has intentionally placed himself, his divine presence, in the midst of his people. Now again, what does that produce? So far it's produced fearlessness back in verse 2. It's produced gladness or joy in verse 4. Now it says God is in the midst of her. What does it say after that? God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God's presence makes his people immovable. This is intentional and specific language here. The not be moved, the word moved. And it makes an awesome point of emphasis in the psalm. And this is, this is one of my favorite parts about this entire psalm. In the original language, the word here for moved in verse 5 is very important because it's the same word used back, let me look at my notes here. It's the same word used in verse 2 in reference to the mountains being moved. And then it's the same word used again in verse 6 that we'll see in reference to the kingdoms that totter. So that word that the ESV for some reason translated in verse 6 as totter, in verse 2, it's the same word for move. The mountains are being moved into the sea. And it's the same word in verse 5. She shall not be moved. Wonderful, beautiful point of contrast here. The word in the original language means to totter, to shake, or to slip. And here's what makes it so incredible. Think about everything on earth. Everything on earth is movable, right? 
everything. In fact, if you think about it with enough force from somewhere or something, the earth itself can be moved, right? This psalm captures the truth and imagery of this when it says, we will not fear though the entire earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea. It's a hard thing to imagine, but I found that the more that I tried to meditate on that, the more terrifying it became to really imagine mountains being moved into the ocean. For that to happen, everything is going to be out of whack. Everything is going to be crumbled, crushed, destroyed, and that's scary. Absolutely terrifying and catastrophic to think of that happening. And then verse 6 tells us that the very kingdoms of the world can be moved. Verse 6, the nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He, that is God, utters his voice and the earth melts. It's all crazy to imagine, isn't it? Well, what's the point of all that? Well, if kingdoms and mountains can be moved, then it's safe to say everything on earth, even the earth itself, is movable, meaning it's all vulnerable. It's all able to be shaken. It's all able to be even displaced. It's kind of a scary thing to think about. Nothing on earth is truly stable, steadfast, and immovable then. It's all vulnerable and susceptible to being displaced, ruined, destroyed. Nothing is immovable except God. And then look at what verse 5 says that God's very presence produces in his people. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. Even if mountains are moved into the heart of the sea or the kingdoms totter, but because God's presence is with us, we become immovable. We become immovable to our greatest enemies and any and every trial or catastrophe that Satan or the world could ever throw at us. That truth, that truth, when believed, will make us fearless, joyful. We, because of God's presence with us, are immovable. That is awesome. Now we get to verse 7. And I want to go ahead and jump straight to 11 as well. Look at both of those verses. You're actually just going to be reading the same exact thing. They're, they are the same exact phrase. And again, remember, this is a song. So verses 7 and 11 are the refrain or the chorus of this song. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. That is the chorus of this psalm. Some scholars even believe that in the original psalm, this chorus, this refrain, was included at the end of verse 3 as well. And you can see that if you put it there, it would be a real nice song with verses and choruses. Um, I don't think there's a way to prove that, though it could likely be true and it would make sense. But the fact remains that this phrase is the refrain of the psalm, and it is a glorious refrain. So it captures the heart of what he's trying to communicate in the whole thing, and it, then he repeats it for emphasis. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. 
There's a lot that we could unpack there, but I'm mainly trying to keep us on the task of following the main thread of the psalm, which is God himself is the fortress of his people. God's very presence is the only real refuge that can withstand all the turmoil and hostilities of life. So then notice it says he is with us, which that song that we sang brought out so beautifully. I love that we sang that song. He is with us. This doesn't just mean, yeah, I'm with you. I agree with you. I support you. It means, no, I am right here with you. I have intentionally brought my presence to wherever you're at and made myself available to you and for you. The Lord of hosts is with us. This is God with us. Does that sound familiar from somewhere else in the Bible? God with us. Who does that sound like? Daniel. Look at Matthew chapter 1. Exactly. Matthew chapter 1, verse 23. When talking about the birth of the Messiah, it says, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Jesus was given many different names, but this one, Emmanuel, was one of the most special ones because it was prophesied back in the Old Testament by Isaiah and because of the meaning behind the name. God with us. The name Emmanuel captures the glory and beauty of the incarnation of the Son of God. Look at John chapter 1. John 1 verse 14 paints a vivid picture of this for us. John 1.14 says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus is the one who brought God's presence down to us. A few verses later in John 1, in verse 18 it says, No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He, Jesus, has made him known. It's not as though as if a bunch of us got together and went and knocked on God's door and were like, yeah, um, you're going to need to send Jesus down to save us from our sins. We didn't know we needed to be saved. God is the great initiator of our salvation, and he did it personally. He did it relationally by making his presence among us. God the Father in an amazing act of love and grace, sent God the Son to earth to become one of us and to dwell among us as a man. He didn't just come to die for us. He first came to live among us and to live the life that we could never live, a perfect life that was free from any sin. He came to be with us so that he could live that perfect life for us so that he could then offer up that perfect life as a sacrifice for us. Jesus died a bloody death on a wooden cross for us and for our sins. And as he hung there on the cross, think about it this way, that was God with us, dwelling, dying among us. Jesus was in that terrible 
and wonderful moment, a very present help trouble. And in that moment, think about what our fortress looked like. In that moment, our fortress took on an interesting form, didn't it? It wasn't in the form of thick steel walls or massive boulders or a deep underground bunker. It was two rough, ordinary pieces of wood and a few metal spikes. It was shaped like that. That's our fortress. In our time of greatest need, God came to our rescue. And he did it personally. He did it himself by his own presence. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. After Jesus died, his body was put in a stone tomb where he laid lifeless. You know the story, but you need to hear it again. On the third day, he rose from the dead, and he is alive right now, ruling and reigning at the right hand of the Father in heaven. And he's there right now, interceding or praying for us, and he's waiting until the day when he will return to right every wrong and to judge the world and to give us a new one. That's when the earth is going to be moved and melted. He's going to give us a new earth where we will live with him and enjoy the fullness of his presence forever. But in the meantime, in the meantime, he did not leave us to ourselves. He left his very own spirit, who he called the comforter or the helper, the Holy Spirit, a very present help for us, remains. And hopefully by now, it's become abundantly clear that God has actually never left us to ourselves. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. And here's where, meditating on this this last week, here's where an aha moment came for me. And I hope that it grips you as well. An aha moment, light bulb moment, that is, of the grace of God. You and I, you and I don't have to go somewhere or do something, anything, to find or to get to God's presence. He makes his presence known. His habitation is among his people. We didn't do anything to get that. He did that. So the lesson for us becomes clear. You don't have to go somewhere or do something just right to experience and enjoy the ultimate fortress. You don't have to go somewhere. You need to trust someone. Look at verse 10. As we close, look at verse 10 of Psalm 46. It says, fittingly, be still. Be still and know that I am God. See those quotations in your Bible. So up until this point, the psalmist is talking about God and to God, and then all of a sudden, there's quotes. This is God talking. God now enters the conversation. Be still and know that I, God, you and I don't need to do anything. Anything. In fact, 
we can't really do anything of real value or contribution when it comes to God and our salvation. The only thing we contribute to our salvation is sin. And that's not very helpful. We just need to be still to believe that God is who he says he is. We need only to be still. In other words, we need to stop striving and put our trust in God alone. Because ultimately, the rest of verse 10 tells us that ultimately, he alone is going to be the one who will be exalted among the nations. He alone is the one who will be exalted in all the earth. So in closing, verse 11 brings us back to the refrain which captures the heart of the psalm, that God's presence is our ultimate fortress. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. This is life-giving truth that when we actively believe it, it will produce in us, all of us that believe, it will produce in us fearlessness, joy, and it will make us immovable to everything, no matter what happens. We may not always feel those things, but because of the presence of God in our lives, those will be the qualities that God, by His grace, will work into and through us and keep us to the end. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this psalm, how it brilliantly and beautifully brings us to your feet, where all we can do in response is to be still and to know that you are God and we are not and neither is anyone or anything else in this earth or beyond it. God, would you help us by your spirit to believe, to believe that this is true and that we would turn to you, to your grace, to your truth, through the hope in Jesus and all that he did in bringing your presence to us, in dying for us, and rising again for us. God, that we would come to you in faith through him again, and that you would fill us with your grace and with your spirit, that we would feel that fearlessness that you provide for us, that we would feel that joy unspeakable that you provide for us, and that we would walk around knowing that we are immovable as long as we are with you, no matter what happens no matter what happens here in this temporal, fleeting space. Eternally, we are yours. You are ours because you are with us. Thank you, God, for this truth. Help us to believe it. Help us to live in light of it. We pray in Jesus' name. You're listening to an audio message from The Well, a gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com.